Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of the Exalted Christ's One Accord podcast. I've brought some friends with me this time, and before I introduce them, I just wanted to explain kind of briefly what it is that our goal is in this One Accord project. When I think about my life and the content that I enjoy uh, in real life, not media content necessarily, but the content of conversations and dialogue and, and things that I enjoy consuming on a theological basis. It's really conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ, and particularly I find edifying conversations with brothers in Christ that I, I actually have disagreements with because I find that to be uh, just very stimulating. And so what we're doing on this project is we're bringing in uh, some friends of mine, some people that I know and have had opportunity to, to serve with and get to know over uh, my life and ministry. These are guys that I disagree with fairly significantly. And uh, we agree on main things, but we do disagree on some issues that, quite frankly, ha are big enough that in some cases uh, can and do split churches and can and do cause people to break fellowship and, in fact, can and do even cause people to question each other's salvation. I didn't bring these guys to this show to question their salvation. I view them as brothers in Christ. And in my life, they have been incredibly edifying and encouraging to me as I've talked with them. And I want to hear out their perspective because I believe that, like myself, they've studied the scriptures and they take these things seriously. With all of these issues, I hope that what is edifying to me now will be edifying to you. And we want to bring that content to this platform so that you can uh, kind of sit in and participate. In a moment, I just want to invite these guys in. But I want to, like, again, just let you know about my perspective going into these conversations, because we're going to talk about a lot of issues. Our unity comes in Christ. It's in the gospel. But we do disagree on a lot of issues. And on all those issues that we disagree, quite frankly, it's going to come as no surprise to anybody that I think that I'm right, especially where I disagree with these guys. But I'm going to make a, a relatively shocking admission to you all now. It's possible that I'm wrong and that they are right. And so I want to at least give them the honor and the respect to be able to listen to them, hear them out, and hear where they're coming from. And so without, without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring in uh, the first member of our team, uh, Pastor Eric Love. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. Eric, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, and I'm really excited to, to participate in this with you guys. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you here. I, I know that you and I, we met, uh, neither of us are uh, experts uh, with uh, our own chronological timeline. I think we were kind of joking about that uh, off uh, off camera. Uh, I know we haven't known each other more than 10 years. We've, we've known each other um, probably between four and 10, somewhere in there. We met through mutual friends. We've had opportunity to study the Bible together and uh, do some witnessing uh, out uh, in public uh, together, usually kind of more uh, closer to your neck of the woods. Um, but why don't you uh, take a, a few moments and just kind of let uh, let us know a little bit more about you? Sure. Um, well, I have been the pastor of Raisin Center Friends Church for uh, about 13 years. I started in 2010. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with Friends Church, because uh, a lot of people, um, you know, when they hear a friend's church, they think it sounds kind of corny because it sounds like, well, our church is friendly and we, we're all friends here. But actually, I think, I think a lot of people go to enemies church, you know, they have. Enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, that's that's probably more uh, more accurate. But um, no, but the friend's church actually fr uh, friends uh, used to be called Quakers. Uh, hmm. And so the friends is a more modern term, but we are evangelical. Uh, so we our our views on, on certain things would, would be similar to those views of uh, many other churches. Um, but we uh, we have Quaker roots and uh, we're an Arminian church. Um, so I uh, that's basically that sums up the, the church stuff. 
Uh, I've been married for uh, about 15 years. Actually, um, our wedding anniversary is in just a few days. I can't yes, forget that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so I've been married for 15 years. I have two uh, two boys, and um, really uh, really enjoy my family. Um, I also I'm a I'm very big into uh, exercising. Uh, always for for some reason I just have always enjoyed doing it. Um, it actually one of the reasons I enjoy it is because it helps manage my my diabetes. I have type one diabetes. Uh, and exercise is kind of the key to to managing that and keeping my blood sugars at a at a good level. So I, I've always loved working out. Um, I started lifting weights when I was uh, a late teenager, um, and I, I lifted weights for probably about ten years, and then I moved down to some other things: calisthenics, um, uh, running, cycling, uh, things like that. So I just I really I like to stay active. I like to be physically active. And of course, uh, I like to be active in the Word. Um, I think I've been pretty obsessed with Bible study since I since I became a Christian, and love the Word, love studying, and getting into um, the meat that's there. So I just find that very edifying for myself, and of course, teaching it to the church is just is a huge blessing. So that that sums up me uh, in yeah. a nutshell. Well, I know uh, uh, two things about you uh, do seem pretty obvious since I've known you, at least in person, uh, that uh, your, your care to study the Word of God uh, is, is clear, and uh, also uh, it's pretty evident to me that you took that uh, weightlifting seriously for, uh, for those 10 years <laughs> that you mentioned. So uh, anyway, um, it's, uh, it's good to, uh, to have you here. You also have a YouTube channel. You didn't mention much about that, but uh, tell, tell the people about your YouTube channel. I do, yeah. Uh, so I think it was during the beginning of COVID, uh, a ministry partner and great friend of mine, James Young, he had the idea of starting our YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel is called Love Speaks. Actually, if you if you go to YouTube and you type in Love Speaks 777, you should be able to find the, the channel easy enough. But uh, what we decided to do was we were um, filming sermons and sending sermons to people that um, weren't able to come to church. And, uh, and just sending them to people that we knew that we thought would benefit from, you know, from hearing, watching the videos. Uh, so there's different kinds of teachings on the videos. There's, uh, it's, uh, you know, we, I, I come from an Arminian background, so there's some teaching on Arminianism, but it's definitely not limited to that. We also have teachings on just how to live the Christian life, um, spiritual disciplines, apologetics. There's some eschatological teachings in there. So there's a there's a huge variety. It's not just one single uh, subject that we cover, but it's yeah. a whole plethora of subjects. So I, I think people will find those very helpful. Your channel is one of the the channels that I probably watch the most videos of. So I appreciate what you're doing, and we'll make sure that we leave a uh, a link to your channel as well. Uh, people can find it as you said, typing it in, or uh, uh, they can look in the comments box, and and we'll have a link to that as well. So Eric, thanks so much for being here with us. Uh, let's bring in uh, also our our friend Greg Churchley. Greg, uh, how you doing today? Hey, good morning, Joe. I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, very, uh, very excited to begin this new project with you. Yeah, well, I'm excited that you, uh, that you said yes. And so, um, you know, you and I, we've known each other a little bit longer than uh, I've known Eric. Uh, we met on a witnessing trip out there in California, doing some witnessing in the uh, Venice Beach and, and Huntington Beach areas. Uh, that was a little bit more than 10 years ago. Again, time flies, flies by. Yeah, uh, no, you know, I was actually looking at pictures uh, earlier this week. So it was 2014. Oh, 2014, uh, so coming up. Thanksgiving of two. 
we're coming yeah, up yeah, on ten our ten years year here. Coming up yeah. next year. Uh, did we look <laughs> younger back then? <laughs> yeah. Were we? Uh... Oh uh, no, Joe, you haven't aged. A, you, you and Beth, your your wife, neither of you age. Oh, that's not true. I definitely <laughs> so look my age. I look now, older. But, uh, I looked like I was fifteen uh, up until basically like last week. So uh, anyway, uh, well, it's so good to have you. Why don't you uh, again? I've I've had the pleasure of getting to know you and your family, and uh, but uh, th- so again, thanks for being here. But why don't you uh, tell everybody uh, who might be watching a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm married to my my beautiful wife Alyssa. We have seven kids. Oldest is twenty. The youngest just turned one. Uh, we, I think we're done. <laughs> I'm not sure that she agrees that we're done. I've heard but, that uh, before, actually. Yeah, I know you. You have actually. It's your fault that I have. Uh, it sounds weird, but uh, that does sound uh, you, weird. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you, <laughs> you helped. Uh, you helped convince me uh, of, of the conviction. I encouraged that, you that children are a blessing. Is blessing. What, uh, yeah, is what yeah, you yeah. mean by that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that's what. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think I'll be the only member of the team that um, ha- isn't or has never been in full-time ministry. My profession is in mechanical engineering, um, but I've I've taught and preached and written in the in the Christian realm in the church for yeah, um, man, fifteen fifteen years or so now. Um, so hopefully, hopefully can bring something to the conversation there. Love studying the word. You, you definitely are going to bring much to the conversation. I know that you, uh, although you haven't been uh, paid for ministry work, you have, uh, as far as I understand, filled both the office of elder and deacon uh, at, at previous uh, points. You mentioned that uh, that you're, you are uh, that you've written. I got a copy here of your your book. Oh, look um, at that! Yeah, there you uh, go. Well, you're the one that bought it, huh? <laughs> I bought uh, several. <laughs> Actually, no, I, g- I gave you that one. <laughs> well, I, I, I did buy uh, several, and I have distributed several. Uh, it's thoughts for young ladies. I appreciate and, that. Uh, so I have some young ladies yeah. in my household, and so I distributed at least some to my older girls, and um, uh, we've given some others out uh, to others. But uh, you published it back in uh, January, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, January. Yep. So, um, yeah, excited about that. So, uh, how that kind of came about was a number of years ago, um, came across the book Thoughts for Young Men by uh, J.C. Ryle and um, was very encouraged by that and very encouraged to to give it out to young men that I knew. And so, shortly into buying copies of that and handing it out, I went, wow, I really need a resource for young for young ladies and couldn't find anything and, and everything I came across were, you know, books about marriaging or, or marriage me or parenting. And it just didn't seem as helpful as it could be to hand out that to 13, 14, 15 year old girls. And so again, you encouraged me to, uh, well, if, if the book isn't there, why don't I write it? And so, uh, through the help of a lot of people, I wrote that, got it published, and uh, yeah, excited to see what the Lord does with it. So. Yeah, well, I uh, I was excited to to see it. I know that uh, it's not quite the same as holding uh, a baby in your hands, but uh, <laughs> to hold your book in your hands is quite a a joy. I know it, uh, you took a a lot of time and put a lot of work and effort into it. And yeah. I think it is a blessing. So we'll likewise leave a, a link uh, to to uh, where you can get that on Amazon, uh, and uh, hopefully, if anybody wants to check that out they can. So, uh, well, again, uh, Eric and Greg, thanks so much for, for both being here uh, and telling us a little bit about yourself. Let's uh, transition a little bit into just talking about how uh, how we came to, to know the Lord. And so, uh, Eric, you have, um, um, again, the floor is yours, I suppose, to, to tell us a little bit about how you uh, came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I know you are a pastor. Sometimes people think that pastors are just like born in the church. They live in the church. That's all they do. But uh, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more uh, accurate story about how you came to uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was not my experience. Um, When I uh, was growing up, um, I was raised in a home that 
really, you know, it was a, it was a Christian home. I mean, um, you know, my, uh, you know, my family, uh, identified as Christians. Um, they, I, we, we did go to church from time to time. We went to a few different churches over the years. Um, I remember going to a, a Baptist church down the road from my house, yeah, a little small country church, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, kind of similar to where I'm at now. <laughs> uh, but we went to that church for a little while. Then I remember also going to a Assemblies of God church in town. I actually went to daycare there and we, we went to the church uh, for uh, for some amount of time. And uh, so I, I did go to church. I grew up being familiar with um, kind of basic Christian teachings. Actually, I, I will I will say that uh, some of my knowledge um, of the Bible came from watching uh, Superbook uh, videos. I remember my house. That, that's like animated, right? Cartoons. Cartoons, yeah, yeah. They were they okay. they were the ones with the 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 gray um, cases, and they had the picture of the characters that the video was about. I remember watching those videos as a kid and just watching them over and over again. I think we had the Adam and Eve episode, uh, Noah and the flood, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. I remember watching these, these videos as a kid and actually re being really interested in them. Uh, so uh, I, I grew up with, you know, having some knowledge um, of biblical things. Uh, but I, I was, I didn't know enough to actually, really make a decision to follow Christ. And, uh, my, you know, my, my mom and would read me the Bible sometimes, but I remember my grandma reading me the Bible. And so all this stuff kind of gave me an idea of what Christianity was about, but I didn't really know enough at the time. And when I became a teenager, I, I just lived like most teenagers do and uh, no offense to teenagers, but I just lived, um, <laughs> I lived more or less, uh, you know, selfishly, uh, lived, uh, you know, live for me. I, I didn't, I wasn't interested in the things of God, really. Uh, I had, a, I had a certain respect for God just simply because of my upbringing and because I was, you know, familiar with things. I actually, I, I believed in God or in some, some way. I believed, I even, I would say I even believed in Jesus, uh, but, but not, it wasn't in a saving kind of way. It was just, of course, I know there's a God. Yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God died for my sins, but I, it was more of like uh, like a superficial belief. It was it wasn't a belief that really penetrated my heart and changed my heart. So I just kind of lived more or less um, the way that I wanted to uh, as a teenager, and and you know got got into trouble at times. Uh, not anything major, but you know bad enough. Uh, did stupid stuff, and I remember um, when I was nineteen. It was, I, 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 I think back to it and I wonder why this was even happening. I wonder what triggered it. I don't remember talking with anybody. Uh, maybe I did. Maybe someone talked to me about God or Christ. I don't remember hearing a sermon. I don't remember what was going on at the time. But I just, I just kind of, for a period of time, I started feeling really bothered by the way I was living. I mean, I was really selfish, really irresponsible. Um, you know, doing some things I, I definitely shouldn't have been doing. I was, I was sinning. I was living in sin. And it just, all of a sudden, it just started to bother me. And, uh, and I, it just got, the, the, it got kind of progressively stronger. 
and I was just, I started to become convicted. And I even remember a point where I, I was just thinking to myself, why in the world am I living like this? Why am I, why am I living so selfishly and irresponsibly? And, you know, I'm, I was, you know, not being considerate of other people. And I was living with my grandparents at the time and not being considerate of them. And I just, I just thought, man, I'm, what a, you know, kind of what a scumbag I, uh, you know, I am. And uh, so I, it really was bothering me. And there, there, there came a point when I just thought, you know, enough is enough. And I, if I'm going to claim to be a Christian, which I always did claim to be, but if I'm going to be a Christian, then I need to actually follow Christ. And I, w- I was going to a church a little bit during that time. And I, I made, when I made the decision to actually follow Christ and, and repent of my sin, I started going to this church and, uh, and, and right in town. And so it, it was, uh, from there, I, I, I went to that church for a while and then eventually went to, uh, got to Raisin Center. I'll maybe share a little bit more about that later, but, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't just some incredible, you know, like radical conversion, but it was just, it was just something that it began to weigh on me that I was living in sin and I was, I was not consistent with my confession. You know, I was claiming to be a Christian, you know, can, I would confess Christ to people, but I, I lived as if he didn't exist. Uh, so that's, that's in a nutshell, that's, uh, that's what, what led me to Christ. Well, thanks, Eric, for sharing that. I really appreciate uh, hearing some of those details. And I know it's uh, in some Christian circles, it's a real debate whether conversion is a, an event or if it's a process. And and so I appreciate you kind of telling us a little bit about your experience of kind of uh, how the, the Lord brought you to conviction and, and how your mind was changed. Uh, it's also interesting you talk about the Superbook. I, I also learned a little bit about God watching cartoons, but it was more Tom and Jerry. I thought heaven was sitting on a sitting on a cloud uh, or something play, playing a harp. I've seen that episode. It's not huh? popular. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of pop. It's it's not Greg. Yeah, it's not, it's not what it is. Um, a lot of popular theology uh, comes from uh, uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons. I think at least at least uh, it used to for me. But uh, well, thanks for sharing that, uh, Greg. Uh, how about you? How'd you come to uh, to know the Lord Jesus Christ and and believe in Him and, and be a follower of His? Sure. Yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, I think Eric and my story is similar or share similarities. Um, I definitely didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, but yet as a child of the 80s, and I think your cartoon experiences speak to this, um, a general theology was just in the water um, growing up then. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't nearly as countercultural as it was today. So um, from as early as I can remember, I had a belief in God. Um, I remember, this is actually, it stands out in my memory, I would have been something first grade maybe, and we were, we were getting on the bus to go home to start Christmas break. And I remember sitting down on the bus going, you know, kind of little introspection in my first grade mind going, there's no way I'm getting Christmas presents if Christmas presents depend on me being good. And so I remember were sitting you, on the bus. Are you going to get some coal or something? <laughs> I, I probably wasn't getting coal. Um, praying that God would forgive me so that I could get Christmas presents. So uh, I, I don't know where that uh, that knowledge or that idea came from besides to say it was just in the water because again um, I grew up in a morally good home but definitely not a Christian home and and that probably continued until my early teenage years when uh, through a different story not my story to really share here um, but my parents decided to bring us to church and so um, 
went into um, kind of the Dutch Reformed tradition, which is pretty popular here on my side of the state. We're in Michigan. Um, I grow, I, I live and grew up not too far from Holland, Michigan. So the Dutch Reformed tradition is very much in the water. So went there, um, made a profession of faith uh, there in my early teenage years, was always attracted to the things of God, always found that um, very reasonable. Um, but I don't know that I really heard the gospel until much later. So made a profession of faith, went away to the Air Force, um, definitely chased as much sin as I could. Um, through the providence of God, he kept me out of a lot of the sin that I would have liked to have engaged in at that time. Um, left the Air Force, came back, kind of came back into the, my same context. Uh, during my whole Air Force time, I really didn't um, didn't worship, didn't, didn't engage with the church at all. Um, after a few years of being back, um, this would have been sometime around 2005, 2006, uh, got laid off. But I was, again, actively involved in the church then and decided that that time being laid off, I've got nothing but time on my hands to find a job and to read my Bible. And so that was the first time I said, OK, I'm going to sit down and systematically read through my Bible. And sometime during that, um, I, I can't I don't have this you know, the skies opening up, come to Jesus moment. But sometime during uh, that process of Genesis to Revelation uh, came under conviction. It would have been shortly around that time I was first introduced to the ministry of Paul Washer and his presentation of the gospel. And so um, definitely came under conviction then. So that's where I would trace my my come to Jesus, giving Je- you know, inviting Jesus into my heart <laughs> moment. And, uh, and then, yeah, so trying to respond to that um, in a faithful biblical way ever since so yeah well praise God and uh, thanks uh, thanks for sharing some of those details and thank you also for your military service uh, I know that that's, uh, that's yeah uh, thank uh, you important so thank you for that and uh, I feel like I still even still uh, if I listen to Paul Washer's preaching I still come under conviction I don't know if you uh, <laughs> that ever went away for you but uh, uh, di- uh, different I mean yeah different aspects now for sure um, sure uh, so, as a but, as a believer now it is different yeah. but uh, man he's uh, a powerful preacher of, of the gospel um, yeah. I'll, I'll briefly share a little bit of my story uh, as well. Uh, my life actually can be broken into really, I think, three very distinct phases. Uh, the first phase um, was uh, from you know birth up until about 19 years of age. Uh, I really believed what what I was told. Uh, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home per se because my parents were divorced, but my my dad was a believer, uh, and and so uh, although my mom was not, because my dad wasn't in the home. Uh, that was a way that that I could kind of share um, something special that just he and I had, and a bond that could could kind of bind us together. And so, um, I, I believed very much, uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, I would have called myself a Christian at that time, uh, at least in the principles. Um, but much like your guys' story, my life didn't match it at all. Like I, I could hold all the positions, I would argue for them, um, even the things at that time that were countercultural. I was okay with um, taking a strong stance. Um, However, it, it made no difference at all in my life. I still absolutely loved sin. Um, I viewed everything that, that God told me to do as, as really just kind of making me jump through hoops. And, um, and if I jumped through enough hoops, then I figured God would praise me for being you know, better than other people who didn't jump through the same hoops. And uh, so I was uh, 
through and through a, a, a Pharisee, you know, someone who um, thought that the outside of my cup was clean while the inside was uh, just rotten and vile. Um, and really anybody else that would have known me, they, they knew I was, you know, I was rotten too. I mean, I was a, a jerk to everybody and, and uh, filled with anger. And, and um, you know, again, the older I get, the more I realize I was just very angry about my parents' divorce and, and uh, other other home things. But um, so then that uh, shifted to the second phase um, pretty radically when my dad died when I was 19 years old, and uh, he died of cancer. Um, it really shook my world to a to a way I, I didn't I didn't know what was up or down or left or right. I mean, I was I was completely lost, and um, I I remember taking all of that um, uh, I'll put it in quotes faith that I had from the first part of my life. Uh, and that all turned to hostility towards Christianity in particular, because my, my dad claimed to believe in Jesus. Uh, I claimed to, to believe in, in Christianity. And then here my dad dies uh, at the age of 43 of cancer, even though he didn't smoke or, or, or you know, he didn't cuss or drive fast. And I thought that um, if there was a God running the world, that he was just doing a, a, a real crummy job at it. Like I, I thought anybody could do better than, than him. You got these, you know, murderers and thieves and liars and everybody else that's out there doing just fine. And, and my dad died for some reason. That didn't make any sense. And so um, in that phase of life, I really began to believe what what I wanted to believe. And so I, I was searching for things, um, you know, young, angry, um, in many ways, you know, foolish, but kind of thought I, you know, you know, you go to college, you think you know all sorts of stuff. So uh, studying in the philosophy department at the University of Michigan, uh, I latched on to uh, some uh, ideas from Buddhism and Hinduism and kind of was my own uh, eclectic blend of these things. I thought my dad was maybe reincarnated off to bigger and better things. And um, and I really delighted to uh, to kind of argue with any Christian I could find. You know, there were Christian uh, groups on campus that would uh, try and give out free pizza and, and, and talk to people about the, the Bible and Jesus. And I really enjoyed trying to eat their free pizza and tell them how stupid I thought that they were and try and change their minds. And um, I got engaged during that uh, phase of life uh, to, uh, to a young lady that is, uh, I'm still married to now, and um, we're coming up on, uh, I think we'll be celebrating 18 years of marriage uh, coming up here uh, this, uh, this next anniversary. Um, and I was not a believer at the time. She was, and she came under conviction, actually, by one of her Christian co-workers uh, that she had agreed to marry a non-Christian man, which is a, a terrible idea. So don't, you know, nobody should <laughs> agree to that. She came under conviction. She started inviting me to church. And um, even though I was hostile towards Christianity, it's amazing what a, a guy who's engaged to a girl will do. I figured I would probably put my foot down and stop going to church as soon as we were actually married. But uh, leading up to it, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to church. So we'd go to church. And uh, we actually went down closer to your, your neck of the woods, Eric. Uh, we, were, we were attending a church down uh, there. And um, you know, I would make fun of the pastor's sermon the whole ride back home. We had like a 40, 45 minute drive each way. So you drive down 40 minutes, I'd listen to him for 30 minutes. And then for 40, 45 minutes, I'd talk about how dumb he was and try and again, convince my wife that, uh, or at the time fiance, that, uh, Christianity was stupid. And then, uh, my dad's widow actually came out, um, to, to meet this girl that I was going to get married to. I think it was my birthday. Maybe we were going out to dinner and, uh, I was trying to tell her how dumb I thought she was for still believing in Jesus. And she told me the gospel um, just very, very directly. Um, and it wasn't the first time I heard the gospel, but, um, she said some things to me that really stuck. And, uh, she left that conversation thinking she was talking to the most stubborn person she's ever met, which in many ways was, uh, was very true. Uh, she thought that the conversation went terribly. Certainly nobody would write a book about uh, that, uh, uh, witnessing encounter. Uh, <laughs> there were many, many things that went poorly. Um, 
but uh, there were certain things in my mind that they just wouldn't go away. And, um, and uh, I think that that started a process where I really kind of began to genuinely seek. And I, I was looking for the truth. And I'll be honest, uh, I wanted it to be anything other than Jesus. Because um, I, I, I was so, so angry and so hostile towards Christianity. But like you guys expressed, I had at least some thought that there was something out there. There was some kind of a God out there. And, and whatever it wanted from me, I was willing to do. I just really, really, fingers crossed, don't be Jesus, anything but Jesus. And um, as it turns out, uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And so uh, I had come home from a party. I was drunk and high, and I was standing out outside of my apartment in the middle of this terrible rainstorm, smoking a cigarette, looking at the sky. And, um, and then, I mean, this lightning bolt went off, didn't hit me or something, but, you know, just across the sky. And, um, I came under conviction so bad that I was I was wrong. I was particularly convicted, although I was incredibly sinful at the time, uh, just engaged in so many sinful activities. But I became particularly convicted of my blasphemy because I had been going around uh, constantly saying things about Jesus that weren't true, um, things that I thought to be true because I thought that I knew things about him because I had been around the church for the first 19 years of my life. But I realized that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, and I also realized that I had no idea who he was. And so that really entered into the third phase where um, I believed uh, uh, the truth of the gospel. And so I, I set out from that point on to study the word of God. There were, uh, I got a, a New Testament handed to me by a Gideon on campus. Uh, I read that a bunch of times and um, bought a real, like, real Bible. It was a real Bible, but a full Bible, you know, Old and New Testament. Started reading that. Um, started buying uh, every systematic theology I could book. Bookstores existed back then. This was back before Amazon. So I used to go to bookstores and buy, you know, buy uh, actual hardcover books at a, a real store. And I would uh, read a lot of those. I realized some of them were good. Some of them were junk and uh, ended up going to seminary. And um, I guess the rest is, as we say, history. So I've been walking with the Lord uh, since I was 21. Uh, so uh, about 19 years now. So about half my life, uh, not a believer in, in this last half as a, as a believer. So that's that's my story. But my conversion, unlike your guys, was a, a little bit more, uh, I'm not going to say dramatic. Anytime someone comes from death to life, that's the same drama, but um, more punctuated. Uh, there, there was more of an event. Like there was a, a moment when I know that's when I became born again. Um, so that's, uh, that's my story. Um, let's kind of uh, transition into one kind of last thing for this episode while we're getting to know each other, and, and especially for, for those who might be watching to get to know each other. Uh, Eric, you've already mentioned you're, you're pastor of a friend's church, that you kind of come from uh, a more of an Arminian perspective. Did you always uh, believe that, or how did you become kind of more of an Arminian? And, and I guess uh, we'll, we'll try and not label each other. I'm, I'm not going to point at you and tell you what I think you are, but why don't you uh, uh, take the opportunity to maybe apply some labels to yourself or, or kind of identify your own camp? Uh, so that we kind of get at least an idea of uh, what theological perspective. Sure. When I first became a Christian, I was sort of a blank slate when it came to theology. Um, it, just simply because I didn't know, you know, enough about those types of things. I, I had a general idea of, um, you know, kind of the, the basic Bible timeline, if you will. Uh, certain events and things, but I believe Jesus was the Son of God and, and just the really basic bare minimum stuff. Uh, so I think in the beginning, when I first got saved, I think I had maybe some Calvinist leanings, I'll say. And I think the reason why I had some of those leanings is just because of the people that I was around 
people that I talked to, uh, you know, when I, when I first got saved, I had some, some family members and some people that I met uh, after that and who I think they were, they leaned uh, somewhat Calvinist, uh, maybe not five point, but, you know, they were uh, closer to Calvinism than Arminianism. And so I, I kind of started off that way. And I, so I, I was reading the Bible a lot. I read the Bible quite a bit. Um, I, I actually, it's interesting, before I became a Christian, I had hardly read any books at all in my life. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I think when I, in middle school, I remember reading two books. And in high school, I don't remember reading any at all, except like, you know, you read the bare minimum in your textbook just to pass the class. I don't, know if, I don't know how good of students you guys were, but I wasn't a very good student. And I, I did the absolute bare minimum. <laughs> front and back cover. Okay. Right? Front and back cover. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was that was basically me. I, I read just enough to get by and nothing more than that. So I was not a reader um, prior to becoming a Christian. But for some reason, when I got saved, I just wanted to read a lot. And I read the Bible a lot. Uh, I remember in one, I read the New Testament in a week. I had a, I had a, a, a copy of the New Testament. I and being not not being a reader, I I was surprising myself at how much I I was I was reading it, and um and then I had read other I read some Christian books, so uh, I was getting all this information. I was trying to sift through it all, and as I was, um, I, I think I probably had more uh, Calvinist influence from the books that I was reading and, and the friends I was talking to, but as I read the Bible, I think I I was starting to wonder. You know, if if God chose us from before the you know foundation of the world uh, to be saved, then why are there all these warnings to Christians about falling away? Why are there all these warnings to the elect specifically about falling away? And this bothered me, and and it bothered me mostly because I just I wanted to believe in. In, in uh, unconditional security or eternal security. I wanted to believe that. And, you know, most of the people that I knew believed that. And so I, I wanted to believe it, but I, I just kept wondering, well, why are, what are these warnings for? Why, why are, why, why are Paul and Jesus and Peter and everybody else, why are they warning Christians to, you know, to not fall away? And, and it just kept nagging at me. I, it's like, I couldn't get it out of my head. And I would go to, uh, I went, I read many, Calvinist commentaries. I remember reading um, uh, John MacArthur's commentary. I remember reading John Piper, R.C. Sproul, um, many others, uh, many, many others. And I was trying to find a solution to this. And uh, I, I remember reading their explanations of these, of some of the verses. And I, and either they would completely ignore the verse, or they would interpret it in a way that, in my opinion, seemed ingenious. It was almost like, you know, rather than just acknowledging what it plainly said, uh, they they were trying so hard to just to to ingeniously interpret it in a way where it didn't say what it obviously was saying. Um, so it, this just bothered me, and I, I after s- surveying all the different you know uh, Calvinist teachers or or many of them, I just I couldn't I couldn't find a satisfactory answer. Uh, to these things. So I, my, my confidence in Calvinism just began to erode, I think, over time. And especially, I think, unconditional election really, uh, it bothered me, not, not just simply the idea, but, you know, if God 
unconditionally chooses people for salvation, then why does the Bible you know, talk about people resisting the Holy Spirit? Or uh, why does it talk about God grieving over people who reject him? I, if, if he's the one that chooses and not them, and they have no choice in the matter, why is he grieved when they, when they reject him? Uh, why did Jesus die for the sins of the whole world? First John two two. So I, I just over time I started reading all this. And I just I, I it, it take to me and again I'm obviously I'm just sharing my opinion here, but it takes more effort and more hoops to jump through. I think in order to reconcile these things with Calvinism than it does with Arminianism. I think Arminianism is a more natural fit uh, with you know for these these types of things, these verses and ideas. And so it seemed like it took more work to reconcile it with Calvinism than it did with Arminianism. And Arminianism just seemed to be more natural and more, uh, you know, more easy to, to connect um, with it. So I, that was my experience. And it took, it took a while. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I, I finally turned away from, from uh, eternal security and unconditional election kind of kicking and screaming a little bit um, because it, it just, I, I kind of wanted to hold on to some of these things, but I, at the, at the end of the day, for me, my personal conviction was that you just, there was no reconciling these ideas with scripture. So you're, you're definitely uh, in the Arminian side of the, the Calvinist Arminian uh, spectrum. Are there any other labels that you would kind of apply? I mean, there's, you know, there's a uh, myriad different, uh, you know, uh, theological views. So, um, you know, I don't know if you want to share at this time any kind of, uh, you know, uh, eschatology labels or, or anything else that you think might be helpful just for, for anybody kind of understanding at least your, you know, the broadest uh, perspective that you come from. Or again, we can leave it there if you'd like. It's up to you. Oh, I, I mean, that's fine. I, I uh, eschatologically, I consider myself uh, amillennial. And I, I find, uh, I find the amillennial view, I think, to be most consistent with uh, with scripture. Um, I know, uh, Greg, I, I believe shares that view. So that's something we have in common. You guys agree on it's, that. It's, it's the right view. So yeah, we, we do agree. So obviously we would, right. yeah, we I'm both share that. that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, again, I, I, when I first got saved, everyone was telling me, um, you know, watch out for the, for the rapture. There's going to be a rapture. There's, there's going to be this preacher rapture. And, and, uh, so I started studying that and I, and I, 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 I want to choose my words very carefully here, but uh, I couldn't figure out for the life of me why anyone would believe in, in, in a pre-trip rapture. I, I searched the scriptures diligently to, to find where are they getting this from? And they would use these particular verses. And I thought, I don't, I don't even know what they're, you know, what they're talking about. I don't even know why, why they would come to this conclusion. So um, maybe the, uh, maybe the, are you, are you? Do you hold that view, uh, Joe? I'm not totally even sure. I, I do. Dang, are, okay. are you wrong, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those. This is one of those areas where I definitely think I'm right, and you guys are both way off from okay. the Okay. Uh, but well, uh, but yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, I know I'm. I, You're not hurting my feelings. Okay. So, so, well, no, and right. and I, I love you, brother. So don't don't take it as a. Um, yeah. Actually, we when we get to this topic, when we get when we get if we get into es- eschatology, we can we can talk about that we will. in oh, we in, will. Uh, yeah. in great detail, but um. So I, I think basically for amillennialism, you know, you have in Scripture the idea that Christ brought the kingdom during his first coming. He, he, in a sense, he was the kingdom, and he, he brought the kingdom, and people were coming into the kingdom by believing the gospel. And uh, 
And as, as you read, uh, for example, Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 15 is a big one, but there's many others. But in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul describes the eschatological events, it, it, it sounds as if he's saying, and I think uh, this is the most natural way to take it, when Christ returns, uh, it's, it's not the beginning of his reign. It's actually, in one sense, the end of his reign. Now, when I say end, I don't mean his kingdom stops. But I mean, I think he's reigning in a unique way right now from, from his first coming to his second coming. He's reigning in a unique way. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. He has all authority and power. Um, and, and so... You, maybe you'd say the full manifestation of his reign, right? I would, I would say, yeah, that, he's, that when, when he returns, he's not going to receive more authority than he has now. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, is what he said. And he's reigning with that authority right now. Over, you know, in, in one sense, over the nations, uh, the church is made up of many different nations. But, um, but, he, but he has authority over, over everything. And he's not going to receive more authority when he comes back. So I, I look at Revelation 20 as sort of a, a panoramic view of church history. Um, I think that uh, there's maybe a little bit of, there's some different views, even within on millennialism about how to interpret Revelation 20. But I look at uh, the end. Oh, is, is Revelation alternately interpreted? Are there different ways of looking at that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Only about a thousand different ways. But um, Believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> but, but even that chapter, Revelation 20, even just that one chapter, there are yeah. a myriad of, of different, different opinions on it. But I kind of look at Revelation 20 as describing like a, a, a very long period of time and uh, the, the whole church age, um, probably. And at the end, you see there's a judgment, not of just one group, but of everybody. Uh, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And it's implied that some people who are judged at that time, their name is going to be found in the book of life, and others, their names are not going to be found in the book of life. So that means everybody, believers and unbelievers, are going to be judged at the same time. Uh, many other verses, it talks about one, one judgment of everybody, uh, many, many texts. So, I mean, there's different views. Some, I think dispensationalists would say there's a Christian judgment and there's the judgment of unbelievers. These are separated by, you know, a thousand years or so, uh, something like that. So I don't see, I don't see these events separated by a thousand years. I see all these things happening, you know, simultaneously. But again, in a nutshell, we can talk about this in a lot more detail later. I, I could go on all day and I, I know I don't have the time for that, but Oh, we will we will dedicate a show to uh, to uh, these views of uh, the millennium and and um, uh, eschatology in particular. So, um, I, but I appreciate the the amillennial label. Any other labels you want to uh, attribute uh, to yourself? Really quickly, I know I've taken up uh, probably enough time already, but um, so I'm I'm I pastor a friend's church, uh, and I, I'm aligned with friends, um, you know, and, on on many different things. Uh, I I think though within the friend's church there is sort of a a, a variety of, of views on particular things. Like, you know, Quakers have historically been pacifists. Uh, some, some Quakers would say, you know, you're not to go to war at all as a Christian. Um, I, I would hold a different view than that. So I just want, want to make it maybe a little bit clearer that I, I'm, yeah. I belong to the Friends Church uh, right now, but I'm, that, that doesn't mean that I share every single uh, historical view with with the friends church but i guess i'll just kind of leave it at that for now that's a good 
Sure. No, I, I appreciate that clarification, and that's good. To, you know, uh, one of the things I think that uh, often breaks down so much communication and conversation between Christians is that we are so rigorous with these labels um, that we don't allow for any nuance. Right. And so, um, yeah. you know, the, the the reality is is that okay, you come from the Armenian perspective, um, but before I just start pointing my finger at you and saying, "Oh, you're Pelagian or semi-Pelagian or whatever other kind of th- you know name calling I could come up with," I want to hear you out and understand, you know, what you're where you're coming from. And likewise, you say you're part of a French church. Oh, well, you know, historically Quakers have believed. Yeah, okay. What do you believe? That's I'm more interested in that. And the reality is all of us are nuanced. You know, we, we uh, all attend churches. And if you did a theological survey with everybody in your church, whether it's a small one or a big one, you'd find that there's some various and disparate theological views that are expressed, you know, by the people that attend, even within the same uh, uh, brick and mortar place. So, um, you know, I read these systematic theologies on my shelf and not all Calvinists agree. Um, I am a premillennial dispensationalist, I guess. Although when I talked with Greg about that, he's like, you know, that label doesn't really uh, fit you very well because he reads other premillennial dispensationalists that I think, quite frankly, would want nothing to do with me. So um, I'll give you my reasons why I do think that you should be uh, at least aware that the, the I do believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. But maybe you've heard all those reasons before. Maybe you haven't. But uh, again, that'll be for another show. But thanks for that, uh, Eric. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate you sharing uh, that. Well, Greg, how about you? What uh, you uh, are uh, a little bit more on the Calvinistic side. So I guess we'll, we'll, let's uh, let you uh, uh, align yourself and label yourself and uh, establish your own uh, uh, fight fighting lines, I guess. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to say I absolutely dislike these labels. Um, hmm. The core might be. Now I understand that we're human and and we, we systematize everything. So So labeling ourselves is absolutely unavoidable, but I don't like it. Um, one, you know, as we already... wanted to do it, just because I knew it yeah. makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, well, <laughs> great. Let's fight. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, as we've already started having discussions, you know, prior to this video, you know, one of us will say, "Oh, well, I disagree with this," and okay, we'll define that. And as soon as you define it, you go, "Well, that, that's not how I define that term either." And so, what you just laid out, I, I disagree with. Um, yeah. And so, what happens is, and what Eric, I've already kind of allude to Calvinism, for example, happens to be Calvinism is whatever the loudest or the most popular voices say it is. Well, that's really unhelpful. Um, are you a John MacArthur Calvinist? Are you an R.C. Sproul Calvinist? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of meaningless. Um, now, that said, um, I, I refuse to call myself a Calvinist because I think we're doing the same thing as calling I, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos. And so I just won't do that. Uh, what I will say is that, yeah, my I have a Calvinistic hermeneutic. Um, as I read text, a lot of what comes out of traditional um, Reformed theology, um, I, I do find in the text, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I would, um, again, I came out of a Dutch Reformed tradition, have have walked away from quite a bit of that. Um, now I would call myself, I would put myself in the camp of, of reformed Baptists, though I've been told that there's, there's one, actually one word in the, uh, in the 1689 London, second London Baptist confession that I, I take issue with. And I told, I've been told because of that, I can't call myself, I can't label myself a reformed Baptist, which, okay. Yeah, no, the <laughs> label you need is schismatic. Here. schismatic. <laughs> there you go. So I'll, I'll take, I'm a, I'm a schismatist, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yes, I, I definitely do fall more into the Calvinistic 
uh, camp than I do the Armenian camp. Um, but again, I, I think, and my hope, my, my goal for this, this time, this podcast, is that as we start to flesh these things out, we find that, that we aren't nearly as far apart as, as we might think we are. Now, that's not to say that we don't have our wackos um, in our camp that are extremists, you know, far out in the fringe. Um, those, those definitely exist. But my guess is those of us that are joining here are going to find that we, we have much more in common than we have um, yeah. separate. So. Oh, amen. So, yeah. And that's the point. That's the point, right? With one heart yeah. and with one voice, we want to glorify our God and, and hopefully we can edify one another. But, um, you know, yeah, the labels do tend to be fighting terms and, and you and I are in agreement about that. In fact, I think uh, you asked me in the past why we didn't have more of a confessional statement on our website. Uh, you know, our doctrinal statement is... Uh, um, less defined than, than a, a more confessional. And um, part of the reason is because I do want to avoid any unnecessary labels because I know how quickly that can shut down conversation. Sure. Um, yeah. But I wanted us to start this uh, just so that people understand that, again, the issues that we're technically in disagreement about, they, they are not small issues, right? I mean, to think about a, a Calvinist and an Arminian uh, sitting down to talk, I mean, that sounds more like the punchline of a joke than it does for a, a, a real yeah. edifying conversation. Yeah, and I mean, there, so, are Calvin, uh, there are Calvinistic churches, Reform, Baptist churches today, that would disqualify Calvin, would disqualify yeah. Luther, would sure. disqualify guys like Vody Bauckham from being from serving in public ministry because of the views they hold on some of these things. And I find that tragic yet hilarious at the same time. Sure. So. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I would just want to say, just say something real quick too. And then Joe, you had asked me this before. Um, we had talked earlier about whether I'm closer to uh, Wesley or closer to Arminius. And it, it really depends on which version of Wesley you're talking about. Um, because it's, it's interesting that, uh, Wesley, in my opinion, is probably the most misrepresented theologian in church history. Now, that's saying a lot, I realize. Uh, but he has been so misrepresented over the years. When he died, the people that took over his ministry, greatly, based on Wesleyan scholars that I've read, misrepresented his views and claimed he taught you know, perfectionism, you know, the idea that you can live completely sinless and attain to sinless perfection, which he, ne which he did not believe and other, other things as well. So I, um, I, I would say just kind of following along with what Greg's saying, it, it really depends on which Wesley you're talking about. And, uh, and not all Wesleyans, of course, even agree. I mean, and what, what John Wesley even said. So there's definitely a, a diversity even within, within that camp. You're 100% right on that, and I know that uh, many of these theologians, I think, would uh, almost roll over in their graves if they knew what's been associated with their names uh, after their death. For sure. Uh, I would Absolutely. disagree on one small point, not that John Wesley's been misrepresented over time, but his brother, uh, Charles, I think, within the family has been more represented, misrepresented than anybody, but uh, uh, I happen to have a website dedicated to Charles Wesley, so uh, I got passionate thoughts about him. But uh, uh, anyway, um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of my labels uh, as we kind of wind down this first episode, and, and I'm really looking forward to diving into the, the details of more of these things, not just kind of explaining what we believe, but why we believe it and, and, and giving each other the reasons why. Um, but, you know, when I came to, to faith, um, I similarly, you know, didn't uh, have much of a, a slate. I kind of knew 
based on my testimony that I gave earlier, I kind of knew that almost everything I believed before, like, I don't know whether that is right and wrong. So I wanted to go right to the Bible and, 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 and read that and, and study it. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like you guys said, as the amillennial position and the labels that, that you would put uh, for that, as a premillennial dispensationalist, I know that sometimes people in that camp or with that label would reject the current reign of Christ. Um, the, the name of our ministry, the exalted Christ, is all about trying to point people to the fact that Christ is not only risen from the dead, but exalted to the right hand of the Father, currently reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords, and coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, right. to gather people to himself from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, and to crush his adversaries under his feet. And so when we think about Jesus, we're not supposed to just think about him as we read about him in the Gospels, although certainly that is real, but to think about even Jesus of Revelation, this risen and exalted Christ. Um, and I guess I find, I didn't realize this, Greg was helping me to see a little bit more, because uh, I think you read more premillennial dispensationalists than I do. Um, I'm, I'm forced to the, a little bit, yeah, absolutely. That's maybe yeah. not the Bomber. common... <laughs> yeah, maybe not the common. I don't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend, <laughs> I don't recommend it either. Yeah. <laughs> Unless so, you want to get um, your blood pressure up. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so, um, so I started reading the Bible and then I ended up going to seminary because, uh, you know, I, I kind of like you were saying, Eric, I, I hated school all along the way. Um, I almost dropped out of my undergraduate degree several times. Uh, I just, I, I didn't like school. Um, once I got out of school, I thought I'm never going back. Then I get saved and, and, I figured the, the only way that I can really learn this stuff is to, to be, you know, I, I, I want to be taught by people who, who know this better. So I ended up going to seminary, wasn't really planning to end up in ministry. Uh, the school that I went to was uh, technically a non-denominational school, uh, but they, you know, most of my professors were wonderful men of God, and they, um, they all kind of came from a, at least I, I think, a premillennial dispensationalist, Calvinistic kind of viewpoint. And so in my early Christian life, in my early Christian training, I, almost everything that I read was from that Calvinist perspective. That definitely was the initial lens which I read everything. And um, I think probably at most I was ever a four-point Calvinist. Um, I really loved Dr. Norman Geisler's systematic theology. He was kind of a, a, a great voice for that four-point Calvinist um, holding to uh, uh unlimited atonement, but everything else in, in uh, you know, so rejecting the L of Tulip, but the, the holding to the others. And um, that was really foundational for me. But uh, similar to your testimony, Eric, as I was reading, there were certain questions, just these nagging questions that I had about certain things. And for me, one of the most persistent wasn't um, the warning passages, although those are, I certainly understand why that would, you know, be a, a sticking point for you. I tried to talk to a lot of Calvinists that I knew, guys that I was studying with, you know, um, in my classes and, and uh, people that I, I knew in ministry, that if God had sovereignly ordained everything from eternity past, that, that he had foreordained everything, literally, to, to be to the, the praise of his glorious grace, every choice, every everything, every molecule, atom, all obeying the sovereign will of God, then why was God so angry when we sinned? Like, if that was all about his maximal glory, he had ordained these things, then why would he be angry about the things that were happening that he ordained because he knows that these things bring him glory. And it was that's just exactly, uh, yeah, that's just, yeah, exactly right on. So, so similarly, and, and again, I, I was asking that question genuinely, and I found that a lot of conversations that I had were, were very edifying. Others were very dismissive of that, you know, like, oh, you know, you, you know, it's just, it's, a, you know, it's, you, you reject the testimony of the scriptures, you know, and they were just shaking their head at me. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I, when you come up with these answers that God isn't really angry, even though it says he's angry, but he's not really angry, it's those kind of ingenious, uh, uh, you know, 
theological gymnastics that you were talking about that, again, they didn't sit right with me. And it's not because I, I couldn't believe that or, or didn't want to believe that. If, if that's how God made the world, fine. I, I absolutely will believe it. But um, the idea of a just-so story, if, you know, it's just because someone says it. Well, if, God, if, the, if God's word says that he's angry about this, it seems to be pretty plain to me that, that he intended it for it to be somewhat different, that there was actually a better way, and we chose a different way. And so some of those nagging things, I, again, ha, did, I, did I ever come to a, a great conclusion on? Nah, not necessarily. Um, but I did begin to kind of travel out of that four-point Calvinist, a three-point, two-and-a-half, one, one-and-a-half, half-point. Uh, and now I, I don't view myself as really being actually anywhere on the Calvinist or Arminian spectrum. I think that a lot of the presuppositions that go into both of those views, um, I think in some sense, and again, I don't mean this as fighting fighting words, I think in some sense that has hijacked a lot of theology that we are we are told from the beginning we have to pick a camp, choose a side, choose your team, and then we're fighting against these others. And we, we spend so much time uh, arguing and hurling insults against others. And I, I think that both sides, in my opinion, the way that I read the scriptures, uh, have a lot of the same issues just from the other side of the coin. Um, well, so in the in the interest talk. of uh, in the interest of continuing the fight and throwing a few more punches, um, yeah, let me it. give you a few more of my labels because what I don't want is I don't want anybody to walk away thinking I'm here to argue for Calvinism and a particular eschatological view. So, um, yeah, Calvinistic in my hermeneutic, optimistic on millennial. Um, complementarian, I think what we call a hard complementarian. I, I know there's a view kind of crystallizing, calling itself patriarchal. I think there's, um, uh, again, the views, the people expressing them, I think um, I would have disagreement with, but I would start to lean towards that uh, patriarchal, hard complementarian. Um, my family and I are committed to family integrated worship, uh, having children in worship, in the service with us. We don't have, we don't, participate in kids church and, and adult church big church little church um, I believe in elder ruled uh, churches congregations being led and ruled by elders um, when it comes to issues of uh, sphere sovereignty I'm, I'm fairly Kuyperian I believe that God has established different authorities for different realms and and those authorities and realms ought to be um, honored and respected in their particular realms. Um, there's a big conversation right now over Christian nationalism or, or not. Um, again, I want to define my terms, but I would label myself uh, in that Christian nationalist camp. I think that's a, a good thing, defendable and, and taught in Scripture. Uh, so I don't know if, I, if you guys want to kind of punch back at any of those. Well, I think, yeah, probably the punching back is maybe for other episodes, but I think that uh, you yeah. know, you've, you've hit on a number of things. and. Um, We'll go ahead and uh, stop the conversation there, not because uh, there isn't much more to discuss, but because we do want to dedicate issues to a lot of these things. And so if anybody's still uh, watching, go ahead and, uh, you know, if you got any value from this discussion, go ahead and leave us a thumbs up and uh, do think about leaving us a comment. If there are issues in your Christian walk that you think would be edifying to hear uh, a discussion on, just let us know what those things are. And we plan on coming back with uh, weekly episodes of having conversations like these, of getting into more of the nitty gritty on some of uh, these uh, these issues in more detail. And so uh, if there's something that you are hoping that we will discuss, let us know what you'd like to see. It's likely on the list, but uh, we'll, we'll add it there. But uh, Eric, thanks so much for being here. Greg, thanks for being here. And I look forward to having uh, many more of these conversations with you guys uh, down the road. So uh, until next time, we'll see you guys. And uh, God bless. Get equipped. Obey your king. Glorify your God until I see you next time.